Welcome, my friends, to Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat, the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about the peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up from them. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, and by the end of the show, we're going to find our sweet spot. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? want to welcome you to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Today's guest is a four-time TEDx speaker, queen of YouTube. I can't wait to talk about her because I really am excited because I do know Kristen really well. Kristen Donnelly. How you doing, Dr. Kristen Donnelly? Oh, I'm fantastic, David. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, you and I have been ta- talking about this for a while, and uh, in between all of your TEDxes, she's, she's just completely focused and she has so much that she wants to change the world with and you know just get her message out there which is so powerful well i'm certainly trying my best for sure and really excited to have such a great team around me to be able to start helping people have these conversations about what it means to have a deeper human experience yeah that's really what it is it's so that's where i was going to ask you the first question so what are your your tedx there is a, a through line with all of your speeches. And could you tell us some of what, what that through line is? Sure. So the through line of my entire career is empathy. And we define empathy as understanding yourself and others better so that we can all have better human experiences. Because in our research, empathy emotions is only one piece of things. So a lot of people will assume when I say I'm an empathy educator, which is how I identify myself, that I teach people about their emotions. That's not true because empathy is a lot more of a mental posture. It's a lot more about understanding than it is about emotions. Emotions are part of it because we're humans, Mm -hmm. but it's not the be all and end all. And so all of my talks have something to do with helping us understand ourselves and others better. So my first talk was about re-understanding the concept of tolerance in that I hate it. And I think it's actually preventing inclusion and equity. And so that's the first conversation I had, again, about understanding. Then I gave two different talks on um, understanding trauma in a different way Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to look at trauma a little bit differently. And then I gave one about understanding how we do employer-employee relations differently. So everything is about understanding in a certain way. And that's what I try to do all the time is help people understand and if I'm doing my job well, it's understanding without judgment. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge is we all have to try to clean out that judgment. It's because that's what really holds us back the most is that, that preconceived judgment or the judgment, oh, I know what you're talking about. No, no. Some, sometimes the answer might be yes, and sometimes the answer is quite different because you don't know our experiences. Correct. The, I think one of the most toxic phrases we can say to somebody is, I know just how you feel. Because you can't. You can't know how someone feels. First of all, we rarely know how we feel. Like, that's not, like, we're not always equipped to name our own emotions. But also, none of us have each other's circumstances or context or relationships or history. And the story Aaron and I frequently tell is that we both lost our grandmothers right around the same time. And we're best friends. We like share a soul in some ways. So if anybody could look at the other person and say, I know just how you feel, it should have been us, but we can't because we had completely different relationships with our grandmothers. Mm. And so what we just said is, I'm sorry, you're in pain. How can I help? What do you need from me right now? 
And that was so much more emotionally productive than I know just how you feel, which my immediate response to that is the hell you do. <sighs> like, you know, it, it, it shuts down conversation rather than invite a deeper relationship. How would you say I've been guilty of, of actually both, but uh, probably more of the latter in that, you know, I know how you feel. Uh, we, we don't know how we feel. I and mean, that's why when I talk about my, my suicide attempt for my uh, people are like, oh, you should have just talked to me. Like, no, nope. talking wasn't it. it. You know, like it, it wasn't there was a reason for it. And it wasn't sadness. It wasn't one of those things I could have talked through. It was yeah. one of those things, and I explain it, is when life gets too heavy, you're carrying too many things, you have to put something down. And if you don't, that's the challenge. It's uh, you know carrying too many bags in from the grocery store. Wouldn't it have been better if we carried less bags and maybe made one extra trip? That makes sense. And first of all, we've all said it. I've said it. Like Nothing that Aaron and I are talking about now is when we – are having these conversations is meant to shame someone for doing it before. I'm very, very clear that being a human is super hard. None of us really know what we're doing. We all figure it out by figuring it out together. So it's just that someone points out like, Hey, maybe this isn't the best thing. And you go, Oh, right. Okay. I'll do it differently. Now. It isn't me saying you've been a horrible person that you did these things. There's not a moral judgment on that statement. There's just a, Hey, let's do it differently now. And one of the reasons that we tend to do things like say, I know just how you feel, or you should have talked to me or something like that, is that for, for a couple really interesting reasons, we need to center ourselves in other people's stories. Mm. And when we do that, we make their, their trauma not about them, but about us. So the challenge really, so like th- those people wanted to be helpful to you. And that might be out of delightful kindness and really good motivations, but your story is not about them. And what they were trying to do in that moment was make it about them. Mm. And they don't even know they're doing it. They don't, it's not a conscious thing. So the best thing that we can train ourselves to do is to allow other people's stories to be theirs and let them stand on their own and let our story stand on our own. This is a lot of, like where now I really love how we're telling kids to kind of name what they're feeling or what they need or what they want a lot earlier than I was ever told to do that. I think technically I'm almost 40. I've never been told to do that. I've just decided to, Um, but we're learning to more assert ourselves in our own stories. And I think that's actually really healthy. Yeah, no. And that's the the powerful piece is is that it it all has to start with ourselves. And if it doesn't, you know, based off of that, that was one of the lessons you know, that I learned when it starts with yourself and you're able to then see things from your version of what it is. Because again, you and I could be experienced. We can go watch a movie together and have a different experience. Same movie, same mostly, uh, you know, perspective, but guess what? You know, you still might affect it. It might be different because it's not, you know, how you saw it. And and maybe some of those life experiences that you had uh, were brought up in the movie or, 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 or things like that. And that's really part, you know, it's really powerful once you start seeing that because that's what gives us each permission to learn a little bit more and see things from another perspective or viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. We need to know ourselves first too, so that we can sort out what is our own buttons and what, you know, we can experience. We all have those things that no matter what, we can't be logical about, right? Because it's either trauma or it's 
um, just a really emotional, like, I mean, there's lots of people that aren't logical about sports teams. There's lots of people that aren't logical about their own, you know, personal stories. So we all have those things. It's important to know those things so that when you're in relationship with somebody, if they brush one of those things and you react like the Tasmanian devil and not a human being, you know, oh, they hit my thing. And I got to go now and make some restitution. That wasn't a great behavior, but they hit my thing. And so now we say to them like, Hey, this is my thing. I know it's, and no, it doesn't make sense to you, but it's my thing. So let's not, let's agree to not do this again kind of stuff. But the important thing, and I'm using the word thing far too much. The important element of this is knowing yourself and knowing your own story and centering yourself in your own story and then doing the reciprocal action for other people. And those aren't linear journeys. They're very, they're very cyclical. Mm -hmm. You learn a little bit about yourself. You learn more about other people. You learn a little bit about yourself. You learn more about other people. And it's these cycles that just keep going throughout our lives. As long as we're willing to engage with the work. Well, that's the whole trick is, is wanting to engage most of us, you know, many people are, are scared to do that. Uh, You know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, again, we we met through uh, Trish Brooks, uh, big big talk academy and and, and through Trish, uh, one of the talks that I had given there was you know how you can slay the monsters in your head, uh, which are worse than the monsters under your bed, um, you know and you know it really is having to do that. That was so the word I'll bring up that word cluberty that I I told you I, might come up in our conversation. Uh, you know it's that growth period. You know that's what it really is is that growth to look into what triggers you have within yourself. Because each person's cluberty, each person's ability to get through those traumas, I didn't realize all the little things that I was doing prior to coming up with this or going through that process. Have you gone through a process like that or know about a process? Oh, about 14 times, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Like when you asked me about that word, like what's a growth period? I was like, well, there's this time and then there's this time and then there's this time. I think I've had some, some really strong experiences of growth out of trauma, for sure. Um, I share one of them in my TEDx Chicago talk around getting fired from a volunteer job that stripped me of my identity in a lot of ways. But I've also had, like my PhD was at a period of intense personal growth. And that wasn't all trauma. A lot of it was. My PhD was a very traumatic experience. But a a lot of it, even outside of the trauma, was the fact that I was living overseas and I got married in the middle of my PhD. And so I was learning who I was as this person in another country. I was learning who I was as a wife. I was learning what my you know future held. At that point, there was no more academia. There was no more degrees to go for. So I had to figure out what the future was. And there was a lot of growth in that process. And then we decided, my husband and I decided to emigrate back to America. My husband is Northern Irish. Um, and so we emigrated to America. And I ended up joining my brother and taking our place in the family business And we had some very set, I think, lovely ideas about what my role would look like. And then about four months after I moved home, my dad had a massive health event. And that changed all of our plans, absolutely everything. And so from 2016 to the beginning of the pandemic was another time of intense growth that may or may not be associated with trauma, but a lot of like drinking from fire hydrants and sitting there and being like, okay, so what does ROI stand for? And why do I need to know what the natural gas prices are? And can someone help me understand what this, you know, it was a lot of that um, and a lot of, of sorting through those kind of things. But I, I don't know if people are very honest with themselves, I don't know if any of us have avoided those periods of growth. 
Like I think of my brother and his wife right now who have two kids, like two and under. Mm. And I'm not sure if they look back on this, they'll talk about their season of, of tremendous personal growth. I'm not sure, but they should. I've watched them now raise now have and try to raise two children during a pandemic, during a lockdown. Their first baby was born three months before COVID hit. Hmm. And watching them figure out how to do parenting completely different than they planned throughout throughout Allison's whole pregnancy. Sure. There were play dates planned and okay, well, we're gonna make sure to introduce her to this idea. Well, they couldn't because they couldn't leave their house. Um, and so there's there's lots of times in which life throws us some sort of curveball. And how we react is a period of growth, whether that's negative growth or positive growth. Um, But very rarely do we actually stagnate because very rarely do we have the choice to ignore it completely because honestly, ignoring it turns into a negative growth cycle. Yeah, that's exactly it is. You got to keep moving it through. And I explain it both on, on the show as well as with clients is, you know, life is, you know, think of a butterfly. It starts as a caterpillar, beautiful caterpillar. It's it's loving life, and then all of a sudden it goes into that cocoon and it morphs it, which is an ugly process. It liquefies and it does a whole bunch of good fun stuff, but it comes out as a butterfly. And not every day is a butterfly day. Not every day is that day where you could just do whatever you want to do, but move the process and move it in in the healthiest way possible. That's mm-hmm. you know, that that's that emotional intelligence that I know that you really you know talk about so often. We certainly try to, we say that emotional intelligence is almost like putting feet to your empathy. It's, it's that process of figuring out yourself and, and the process of constantly doing it. And the constantly is so important because you're right. That metamorphosis isn't, but it isn't a one-time thing. It's a consistent Mm -hmm. decision. And there's different areas. Like I, I'm going through a particularly significant thing right now. The details don't matter but it's in one bucket of my life. And that's, it's a pretty significant thing. I'm having to make some different decisions and move some priorities around, but that's an area that I haven't done a whole lot of growth in, in a little while, but I've been doing tons of growth in all these other areas. And so that right now, those are in good places and they can hit a stasis for a little while because they do need to work on this other thing over here and focus most of my change energy, which is a limited entity. (laughs) We all get very tired very quickly. My change energy needs to all go on this particular issue. There's going to be other seasons where that switches. So it's not like we work on our whole self or we work on nothing. Very frequently, there's buckets of our lives that we need to focus on differently at different times. And especially for those of us in like strong covenantal relationships, sometimes that's your, your relationship. Sometimes that your that's your partnership or your marriage or whatever word you use for it. I'd imagine parents sometimes have more difficult or challenging seasons with one or another kid or figuring those things out and how to stretch your parenting in a different way. And other seasons where it's like, Hey, things are going really great. I'm feeling really good as a parent. You know, where I really need to grow is like in my relationship with my sister, mm-hmm. something like that. So there's all, it's like we're mosaics. So you just pick the chunk of the mosaic that needs a little bit of regrouding. Yep. And that's what it is. It, 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 I love that you said regrouding because it's, you know, keep doing it, right? So you, you can't just do a little bit of it. You have to keep maintaining it, cultivating it, and because that's how growth is. Yep. We just keep growing. And if you don't grow, you really do, you know, start dying. And that doesn't mean that you're, you know, the end die, but it's it's, it's those pieces of, of life. And you have to cultivate each part of the, each avenue of your life. 
you know, by em- embracing. I mean, I know you also talk about uh, not only personal development, but embracing tolerance in, in the world. Yeah, well, I actually think, yeah, what I talk about with tolerance is that I think it is the thing that prevents us from growing. So tolerance is a super passive entity. You Tolerance is simply saying that person is alive because it is illegal to kill them. <sighs> that is why that person is alive. That's not moving us in any positive direction. So instead of, you know, you can make the argument that that kind of keeps us all at stasis. But the issue with societal stasis is that it allows stereotypes and a lot of other things to fester and grow and deepen. So we don't get to know other people. We get to know ideas about other people. Mm. And very quickly, those other people stop being people and they become entities. And that's what tolerance does. Whereas inclusion is the idea that that person is a person. Their personhood is just as valid as yours. And you need to at least know them as a person and make a decision about whether or not you want to be in a relationship or not. Tolerance is immediate, is ultimately all the time completely passive. Right. You can choose to not be in a relationship with people. Absolutely. Inclusivity is not right. a kumbaya thing. Inclusivity starts with informed choice about people. But it, that informed choice starts with seeing them as humans. Right. That's the challenge. And that's well, so I want to ask you this. This was definitely an unplanned question. Uh, what do you think about the cancer culture? You know, you know, in talking, you know, and I don't want to go too. But I'm not asking for political and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, to understand, because I've had these conversations with people and I don't like it because it, it, it defines a person at a point in time that doesn't include growth and learning from that experience. Yeah, it's not my favorite for that reason. I think there are ways to respond to it, though, and ways not to. And I have seen that if people, not maybe necessarily like massive national political figures, sure, but I've seen a lot of, of smaller instances of it where if somebody goes, you know, that, that was me blowing the call. I had no idea. I'm going to change. There is sometimes grace and forgiveness there. There is a little bit of space. If you stand up and be like, I never, I never said that, or I never did that. That's when cancel culture tends to dig in and be like, well, screw you. Now you're dead. Yeah. So there, sometimes if you stand up and, and, and cause really what they're looking for the Twitter, which is usually where this starts the Twitter and the TikTok, what they're looking for is accountability mm-hmm. more than anything. That's what they're looking for. They want you to stand up and say that was wrong and I'm different now. And if you do that generally, more often than not, and you sow actual authentic change, they'll leave you alone. It's when you double down. Right. That's the problem, especially around sexual assault. And I'll be honest, I am the quickest to cancel people around sexual assault emotionally in myself. Because if somebody brings forth an accusation and they go, I never did that. My immediate thought is, oh, you don't know what sexual assault is. Because if she's saying that you touched her without your consent, I promise you, child, you touched her without her consent. So what your response should be is, I am sorry, I did something that made her uncomfortable. I'm going to ask her how to make restitution, and I'm going to make sure I never do it again. Then I'm like, oh, they get it. Cool. They made a mistake. Or the culture in the 80s let them do this. Or that was normal then. It's not normal now. Let's move forward. But somebody's like, I never did that. Or, well, that was just locker room culture. It was totally normal then. No, say, I'm sorry, I made you uncomfortable. It's not that hard. Right. I'm sorry, I blew the call. So I think that's it. The, the automatic, like, cultural 
pile on of people I do not love at all. Gen- and what what even gets my goat more, David, I'll be really honest, is that the people that should be canceled for behavior tend to get a whole lot of forgiveness. <laughs> and the people that shouldn't be tend to get maligned faster. And that's kind of been a pattern in the last couple of years, especially. Um, I laugh all the time because YouTube constantly says that it canceled David Dobrik. We have canceled David Dobrik. David Dobrik is canceled. Cool. He still has a show on Nickelodeon. <laughs> And a show on Nat Geo. So I'm not entirely sure how you canceled him because he's still rolling in the bank. Right. So well, that's kind of the other thing. Like, oh, I'm glad you canceled him. Explain to me what that means. Yeah. And, and that's the part that I, I don't like is, uh, you know, look, every every company is allowed to make their own decision. And but it's, you know, what is canceled? So you're not even giving them the, the opportunity. Now, if, if they dig in deep. Uh, you know, and say, yeah, but I, that wasn't my intentions. Okay, but, you know, our intentions, right? The road to hell is paved with great intentions. Yeah. But uh, but if, if our intentions don't match up with our alignment, that once you learned that you've done something wrong, I'm not, that, you know, that's one of my cluberty things is, you know, I know that, you know, growing up, uh, 70s, 80s, I know I've said things that I would never say to today. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not the same person. I've used those years well. I'm not the same person who tried to hurt myself. You know, like I get that question as well. You know, how can you know? I go, I use my resources now. I know where I tripped up and how I would grow from that experience. I never want to do that again. It, it was not fun to go through. I can't imagine that it would be. Yeah. It's- it's, we learn from more, more from overcoming our pain you know, as an identifier, as you were saying a little bit earlier. Yeah. And I think the real downfall to me of cancel culture is not that it actually silences voices that shouldn't be silenced necessarily is that it prevents people from coming out with opinions at all. Mm. And people are terrified of this kind of amoeba entity called cancel culture. So usually when people come to us and they say, but if I say this, I'll get canceled. I kind of say, well, what platform do you have that you would be canceled on? Because cancel culture is a social media thing. So your kids aren't going to cancel you. If you are not on Facebook, like this is not a problem that you may have. So like, let's, let's discuss the scope of cancel culture, which is actually pretty narrow. Um, BuzzFeed's probably not going to write about you. So let's, let's kind of keep this narrow. But the other thing is that it's, if we understand the power of apologies and we understand the power of accountability very few public apologies. Aaron and I have done a couple podcast episodes actually on analyzing people's public apologies for screwing up. And one of the ones that we say was so good is Ellie Kemper when she got called out for being part of a racist beauty pageant. Hers is a really solid, well-structured public apology. There are so many that are not well-structured public apologies. Sure. And they are, you know, I always joke that one thing I hate more than anything is a notes app apology. Like if you wrote your apology in the toilet of the club you were at, I'm not thinking it's really authentic. Yeah. Um, But what we need to get used to is saying, that's who I was then. And I think differently now. Or I had no idea that was a really, I had no idea I was so wrong. Thank you for teaching me. Yeah. That's the whole thing is, uh, and that's where I've been reaching out to people in um, making sure that I learn from where I want to and say the right thing. So, you, you know, you reach out to the people who might be offended by the things that you had said so that way you can learn what not to say. Let them educate you. 
Uh, and that's what and that's what I did because especially as with the pandemic, you know, we we had a lot of things to learn, and I I used it. I, you know, all those people who go, oh, I hated. You know, we were home, we were stuck. Yeah, that at, before the pandemic, that was my biggest fear: is being home and stuck by myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't like myself, but now I I've done the di- deep dive. Uh, I like myself no matter what I do, and well, not no matter what I do. I mean, as long as I'm appropriate. But uh, you know, I I can say I like myself better, and that's part of that understanding and growth that we we all should you know seek. But not everybody does because we get very defensive. We'll be back in a moment. This is John. And Mark Cronin from John's Crazy Socks. And we're interrupting to say, we hope you're enjoying this episode, but please make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Bring It Back with me, Uncle Dave, Dave Shemetsky. What would be some things that you would, some resources that you might use to overcome that that difficult conversations that you might want to have? This is such a great question because we're actually designing a training right now entirely around language and words we don't use anymore. So we are looking a lot right now at that. One of the things that I always recommend is to not let, first of all, not let your, get yourself get overwhelmed. So you mentioned the, you know, in 2020, we had a lot of things to learn. Everyone had a lot of things to learn around a lot of different things. We had to talk about systemic racism. We had to talk about the school to prison pipeline. We had to talk about police brutality. And then 2021 hits and the Asian spa terrorist attacks hit. We've got to learn about the sexualization of Asian women. There's a lot of things we got to learn here. (laughs) Then Gabby Petito disappears and we learn that indigenous women are disappearing like it's a hobby and no one's paying attention to it. Lots of things we got to learn. So the first thing I would say is pick a thing. There is so much to learn and you will never stop learning and you will never stop. So don't try to omnivore this for a minute. Pick one thing. Yep. So if you'd love to know if what I just said about Gabby Petito, you didn't know about the missing and murdered indigenous women that didn't cross your timeline. That's a great place to start. Google, literally Google the phrase missing and murdered indigenous women. Mm. There's podcasts, there's YouTube videos. There's, I mean, gosh, we've done a couple things on it and learn what it means that indigenous women go, go missing and are murdered at alarming rates all over North America in unrecorded ways. Yep. It's a problem. So you can learn about that. And then you can decide, I want to know more. I want to get active. I want to do something to help this. Or you can say, I know about this now. So the next time somebody goes missing on television, I can ask critical questions of the media. Why are we focusing on this white blonde girl? When this isn't happening, not that the white blonde girl missing isn't a problem, but we have a disproportionate focus sure. on blonde girls going missing. So how do I, as a, as, cause a lot in a lot of circles, Gabby Petito was all people would talk about. 
Mm-hmm. So the next time a Gabby Petito happens, you can say, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Can I also draw your attention to this problem? Right. If you're really concerned about this, this is actually a domestic violence issue. Could I draw your concern to your local women's shelter? Mm-hmm. So you're more informed now. And so then you can move on. Maybe you say, you know what? I also don't know a lot about this. Cool. Figure it out. One of the quickest ways I always say to learn about other cultures is learn their food. So if there's restaurants in your area that have an ethnic food that you've never eaten before, go there. Don't be embarrassed. Ask what you should eat. Ask. I've never been here before. I've never tried your cuisine. I like this meat or I'm a vegetarian and I don't like spice. Could you bring me something you think I'd like? Yep. Start there and just start somewhere. That's all about outwardly facing stuff, inwardly facing stuff. I'll be really honest. My first, my first recommendation is always therapy. And that comes from being a social worker and from being in therapy on and off since I was in eighth grade, the first time I actually had my own um, suicidal ideations and decided, and my parents knew to outsource that real quick, that that wasn't something that they were equipped to handle. My mental health wasn't something they were equipped to handle. So they sent me to therapy and I've been in and out of therapy since I was 12 and it has saved my life. It has saved my marriage. It has saved my business because I have a very unique brain chemistry that that is pretty high maintenance and I need a lot of help. So the first thing to kind of, my recommendation is always, always therapy, but I know other people that for whom yoga is a big part of, of focusing on themselves, learning to breathe differently Mm -hmm. is something my business partner has done. She learned to breathe differently during the pandemic entirely through her nose. She read this book called breath and it changed how she thinks about her body. So she breathes differently. Now that's something that she did to change herself. You can move differently. You can pick a different diet. You can start journaling. You could, there's lots of other things you could do. My answer first is just always therapy. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. That's the, the way to go. Um, you know, and you have to find what, what resources because therapy, a lot of people get scared about, uh, yep. You know, I've been in therapy for for a while and, you know, you go when you come, you, you don't need it all the time. It's not something that once you start, uh, it, it all depends on your growth and how everybody goes through that process differently. And that's mm-hmm. why when we start living life, the, the real living of life, everybody lives it differently and, and, yep. and, and manages all the things that, that you need to do. Which is why you should always run, this is like, I make this definitive statement about definitive statements and I recognize the irony, but you should always run from somebody who says they have the solution to your life Yeah. in a definitive statement. Because like, if someone is saying that they are literally selling something, Yep. literally what they're doing. And so that's, I usually I hesitate about definitive statements and blanket over. I am pretty confident that if someone's telling you in five easy steps, I can fix your life. <laughs> I would encourage you to consider not doing that. Right. Because it's so much like if someone's like, I can, I want to walk with you as you learn how to change yourself. Listen to that. Right. I can fix you run the other direction. 100%. That's why I say, you know, when I'm working with somebody, I I go, you know, we have the ability, but it's your choice. So anything Mm -hmm. that I give is just options and your options is, is how you like it. Some people might not like this, that, the other thing. You know, like, I, you know, I, I always use the extremes of if you like to jump out of an airplane, that's great. That's not something that I would find relaxing in. Uh, maybe, you know, if I tried it, 
but I'm not prepared to try that right now. And because I always say that's a you dream. Yeah, yeah. Like, so actually on our second date, my husband was like, don't you, do you want to go skydiving with me someday? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> like, absolutely not. And we talk about it now because you were deeply trying to impress me then. And I was trying to impress you and you still flat out went, no, I'm never doing that. I said, exactly. <laughs> because we all have our limits. Like, right. I will, there are things I will try for you. Jumping out of a plane is not one of them. You're not that cute. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I was like, I will drive you. I will pay for it. And I will sit on the ground with a book. Right. No, exactly. It's knowing those boundaries. And that's that bring a bat moment. You know, it's really knowing your boundaries and your, you know, what your non-negotiables are. I think that's the biggest, you know, thing that people don't aren't honest with with each other about at at times in, in relationships. Yeah, I remember I had a friend who was dating somebody and she loathed American football, like loathed it, like can't even hear the announcers. And she was dating this guy who was obsessed with American football. And she told them that like, it was fine. She, she liked it. Okay. And I was like, this is dumb. Like you are, this is, you have literally lied to him about one of the foundational hobbies of his life. This is not going to go well. Um, And it didn't, they ended up breaking up because it's, you know, it was, it's not just a thing for that particular dude. It's like foundational. Yeah. Right. There's there's things that are non-negotiable in his life. In his life. Yeah. It would be non-negotiable for me to not have, to not be, to be really in an intimate relationship with somebody who doesn't understand um, how important my faith is to me. Mm. They don't need to share my faith, but I couldn't be in an emotionally intimate relationship with somebody who mocked me for my faith. Sure. Of course. And so like that is one of my deep non-negotiables and we all have them. I, I talk about knowing yourself in the framework of a trampoline and identifying different parts of your inner life as a trampoline. And that the non-negotiables that you talk about, I talk about as the base of the trampoline where once they're set, they're not going to change except through trauma. Right. And like, this is the thing that holds everything else up. That's a great way to look at it. And uh, you, you, you want to hit your center spot, your sweet spot that I talk about is that center, you know, part of the trampoline is where you can jump the highest and, and, and you know, lift yourself that, that, that much higher. One of your other TED Talks was uh, everybody is, everyone is replaceable or everyone is not replaceable. Uh, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So the title is everyone's replaceable and other lies we live by. So a little bit tongue in cheek uh, and it's about my family business. So my father started our business about 32 years ago on the prince on a couple principles, but one of the main ones was we're going to treat people like people in 32 years. We've never had a financial layoff. Um, we spend a whole lot of time treating people like people doing our best working with them and so the, and it's always bugged me that phrase, everyone's replaceable. If you, if you mess up, I can have another somebody in here to do this job. That doesn't mean they're replaceable. It means the position might be interchangeable, mm. but the human is not replaceable. You are still losing that human, the human that brings specific things to your organization. So the talk is about how we can hold people and profits intention. You can do it. It's a choice. You don't have to make choose one or the other because we never have. We've always held them intention. There are some decisions. I'll have an employee come to me and say, I really need to leave at three o'clock for the next five days because my kid's getting out of school out of whatever. So I'm going to lose a couple hours of that person's productivity. Not Maybe not great. Maybe we're in the middle of a really big project, but like what's in the long run of things more important, that project or that kid? Mm-hmm. That kid's more important. So let's think creatively about how we get the project solved. 
Because there's 25 people in this building that might be able to solve the project. There is that that kid has one mom. Right. So and, how and that's do we a short-term think outside the problem. box? Because then you also have that employee who's more engaged because they know that they can have that honest conversation with you. Like, what you know, if they do it every week, then that becomes a different story. But it, it's usually a, a one-time or a, a, a specific, very specific reason. And you, you then yeah, we build communicate that res- really openly. I can't help you solve a problem I don't know about. So if I don't know about the problem, I may have to punish you for the ramifications of the problem, or you could talk to me ahead of time and tell me the problem. We come up with a creative solution. Right. There, my understanding of leadership is that it's my job and my brother's job. Our job is to make sure that everybody in the building can do their job. Mm. And their job is to serve customers. Whether that's in being on the phone with customers, whether that's making the thing, whether that's shipping the thing, everyone else in this building is focused on customers. My brother and I are focused on everyone else in the building. Sure. So how do we make sure that you are equipped to do the best job you can as the best you you want to be? So we'll help you pay for college if you want to go. We'll help you pay for other training if you want it, as long as it kind of benefits the company in some way benefits your job. Um, We'll help you dream of different dreams. There's people around here who have second jobs and we're cool with it because that's their passion. They know that it can't ever become a full-time job for a whole lot of reasons. And they want to do it on nights and weekends. Cool. I support that. We don't believe in non-compete clauses in that way because these are full human persons. So the TEDx is about that. I say that people are not interchangeable. They're simply not. They are people. And when you treat people like people, people treat you like one too. And a lot of the really toxic shit between employers and employees can break down. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Oh my God, no. But do I think we have a pretty good thing going here? Yeah. I mean, by all the business measures, I got really low turnover, like single digit turnover. That's crazy. Good. Congratulations. And and we've had it for years. We've had like either single or low double digits for years. There's people in this building that have been here for 30 years. And one of the reasons that they're here, even through hard times and through personality differences and through the the garbage of doing life with other people is because they know that we, I believe, and I think they would tell me this, that we treat them like people. Right. It's those intentions that you've put into and your father built, you know, so, you know, that leadership piece is the intentions that you work at and you know, you, your people are more important. And that, and I love, that's why I love the title about being replaceable, but the lies we tell ourselves, you know, everybody you know, has interchangeable relationship. Not everybody. Uh, often people have interchangeable relationships and things like that, but they're not replaceable. So, you know, you can tell yourself, I don't need that person. I don't need this person. But there's, there's pieces of that that could be right. And there's pieces of that that are you telling yourself the truth? And that's really what it all comes back down to. If you're speaking to yourself the most kindly way and in the in your own truth, whatever that means, that most authentic truth for you, that's where you can have the largest growth. Absolutely. Okay. I've taken up a a lot of your time. We usually try to keep every episode about 40 minutes or, you know, 30, 30 minutes, but I I just want to say thank you so much. And we'll love to keep contacting you and, you know, just keep, everybody should just follow, you know, Kristen, because she's just an amazing person. And, Listen to those TEDx talks because you will be inspired by it. There's so many gems in everything that we say. And I know you're on YouTube. Why don't you just share how we can contact you or hear your your podcast as well as other things? 
Well, we are kind of content crazy machines over at Abbey Research. So the best way to find us is our website, which is argooddoctors.com. We're also on YouTube at Abbey Research. If you just Google that, we'll come up and you spell Abbey, A-B-B-E-Y. Our podcast is The Culture Cast. But again, all of that can be found at our website, argooddoctors.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Uh, there, thank is, you so much, David. Yeah. Is there any final words, that you, final gems or, or seeds that you'd like to leave with us with? Wherever you are right now, wherever you're listening to this, I want you to know that you're doing a great job. And that's not a cheap saying, because immediately I'm sure your brain is like, she doesn't know me. But here's what I do know. If you're listening to this, you're trying to grow. And if you're listening to this, you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And that's hard work. And it's tiring. And it's exhausting. And if you're even taking one step, you're doing a great job. Well, that's awesome. And just, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And for everybody else, as all, take that piece of advice as well. But I would just wish you to find your peace and love in your life. And when you're bringing about non-negotiables, boundaries, and nonviolent, more importantly, but make sure that you do find that sweet spot, whatever that means to you, and wishing you all the best. Thank you. I'm really glad that you're enjoying our show. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by David Chemetsky and George Andriopoulos. Music selections by James Grant, Zach Nelson, and James Gaither, and licensed through Storyblock. Sound effects and sponsorship music licensed through Epidemic Sound. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is hosted with Podbean. Subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with all of your friends. Follow us on Facebook at Peace, Love, and Bring a Back. Follow me, Uncle Dave, Dave Shemetsky, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. You can find all those links and more info at davidshemetsky.com. For show ideas, feedback, guest inquiries, or just a chat, reach out to me at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. For sponsorship and media inquiries, reach out to peacelovebringabat at lp516.com. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Today's journey has come to a close, my friends. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember that peace and love surrounds you and will assist you to rise again. But don't forget to bring it back for what you believe in. Namaste. Namaste.